We're going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to continue talking about kind of transformation, understanding the reason behind it and the purpose behind it. You know, the church does what it can. Uh, when I first got born again, the, the first thing they taught me was to get busy. Not just busy. Busy, busy, busy. And, you know, we did a lot of good things. We raised money. We One time we had a, uh, the church had a group of men that got together to try to raise money. We'd buy a car and then fix it up and sell it. The profits go into the church building. Uh, another time we planted a bunch of trees so it would grow in the property and we'd sell them later on. And another time we bought a brick building, an old prison that they demolished. And, you know, old bricks are worth more than new bricks. So we went and took all summer and chipped all the mortar off the bricks and resold the bricks. And we went out and won souls, led people to the Lord, shared the gospel. And what a mission I've been on since I ran into the Holy Spirit. Since Pastor Dave said, you know, if you just pray in tongues, it'll change you. And I had been frustrated privately because, you know, at 18, 19, I was thrown into leadership. And, uh, and you know, I was pretty dysfunctional. I wasn't raised in church. <laughs> and uh, so I, I didn't have a lot of backing in my past. But I was good at being busy. And so once you're in leadership, it's hard to open up about your weaknesses, about your struggles. You know, who do you talk to? You know, and so I was thrown in leadership pretty early and uh, I remember when I heard Pastor Day preach one time, the first time, praying tongues a lot will change you. I thought, well, I've tried everything else. I've tried discipline. I failed. I tried being strong. I failed. I tried rebuking the devil, and I'd always fail. I tried resisting the devil. And I could resist for a day, a week, or two, and then I'd come back. I tried anointing, getting people to lay hands on me. I tried uh, begging God, worshiping God. I tried everything I could to change from being where I was, dysfunctional, to being a man of God. Because if you ask me, I would say I want to be a man of God. Holiness, a purity of love. Thank God for Pastor Dave planting that seed. I started praying. It took me a while to build up to an hour I, try, I thought, well, I'll pray for an hour. <laughs> First 10 minutes, I ran into my natural soul who did not like the idea of sitting and praying. And, and uh, it took me a while to get up to just one hour, just to get past one hour of praying. And once I did, I was able to do more. And, and eventually, I started going at 6 in the morning to the church. And uh, people would come up to me, young man, hey, can you help me? Yeah, I'll meet you at the church at 6 in the morning. And we just pray in tongues together. Thank God for praying in the Holy Ghost. And you know, really most of us don't know exactly what God is doing in us as we pray. And as Pastor Dave says, that's good because you probably would stop praying when you found out what he was trying to kill. But I look back and I think about all my wise decisions through the years, how I... I didn't fall for this trap, or I didn't go down that trap, or how I stayed the course, and how wise I am, and how strong I am, and brave I am. And and truth is, it all belongs to the Holy Spirit. That Alan is not a strong man. It's the Holy Spirit in me that he's built that's protecting me from making mistakes. And not that I haven't made mistakes, but I could have made some big mistakes that took me, changed the course of my direction. You know, and when you pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit builds His perfect will in your life, builds His knowledge inside of you, and that's kind of why we're talking about transformation. Because if you don't see this, you don't realize the miracle that happens every time you pray in tongues. If you don't see this, you don't realize the miracle that happens every time you worship God, the absolute miracle that happens inside of you, that you dysfunctional you can be strong in him can be brave in him can be courageous in him 
and you yourself can be a broken disaster waiting to happen. But as we spend time praying and worshiping, you're actually taking a piece of God's knowledge. Think about that. The knowledge of God that originated in God's mind, the truth, the holy, divine truth of God is deposited into your spiritual man. And you have it. It belongs to you. That's a miracle. So it's not that you just quit thinking the way you thought or quit acting the way you were thinking. It's that a miracle is taking place, that you're taking a piece of knowledge of God and placing it into your inner man. At the same time, you then begin to, as it builds up, you begin to be able to mortify the almost truth of your natural man. The natural man wants to serve God. You're wearing a natural body that wants to serve God. But it can't. God won't accept it because God's not the father of your outward man or your flesh. He's the father of your inward man, your spirit. So every time you try to bring your natural man or he tries to sneak into church, God resists it. That's not good enough. What God wants in revival is for Jesus to come forward to the earth through us. It's not as easy, I wish it was, as just saying, okay, Jesus, have your way. Have your way, Jesus. We've all tried that. Uh, when we've gone out and prayed for people and ran into you know, someone that you couldn't get healed. <laughs> you know, so How come I got the knee healed, the back healed, the ear healed, but I can't get this person healed? Okay, Jesus, have your way. I heard Benny Hinn say one time, you know, God works in silence. That you have to get quiet in God. And, and he talked about a service where he was quiet for like an hour and then God showed up, like boom. So I was preaching, I thought I'm going to try that. And I was in Georgia, I was like, now God works in silence. So I had the whole church just be silent. You know, a little baby would go, eh, and I'd be, eh, quiet. And for like, I made everyone just sit there for an hour. Okay, Jesus, come on, show up. Have your way. Have your way. And, of course, they never had me back after that. (laughs) Have the guy come for it and doesn't say a word. Nothing happens. So the transformation that we're after is we're, instead of just saying, Jesus, have your way, we are to become like Jesus. Not that we are Jesus, but we're to become like him in love, in holiness, in character, in peace. And you understand, when you have the love of God in you, not your love in the name of God, the love of God in you, when you have that love in you, it's yours. That's the authority that God uses to share his victory with other people. That's the love of Jesus in you. That's different than saying, Jesus loves you. Oh, where is he? Well, he's up in the sky somewhere, up in the clouds. It's easy to say when you're in a country, and I'm not picking on America so much, but we're in a blessed country. You know, we're blessed. We, we have running water. I've been to Nicaragua and, and different countries, Mexico, where I would go on little mission trips way back when, and, and the, even the nice houses didn't have a hot water tank. You'd have to be the first one up to get the shower because there's a little bit of warmth in the pipes from overnight. And you try to be the first one to get in the shower to get like a, a moment of warm water before the cold water came. And, and, and this was in a, a, a nice house. We're blessed in our country. And so we want to be careful not to assume that that's just because God is blessing us. You know, we want to have from God by faith what God's given to us. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and we'll just see what we can accomplish today. Most of you know this from Pastor Dave's teaching. I'll start in verse 35. But some will say, how are the dead raised, and with what body do they come? Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow, that body, that will be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and each seed its own body. All flesh 
is not the same flesh. But there's one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. These are, there, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, but the glory and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now think about this. Apostle Paul is having to explain something that the Holy Ghost showed him about the resurrection of the dead. And answered the question, well, how are we resurrected from the dead? What does that mean? He's having to describe that you're getting a new body here to the church which was, now we understand it, but imagine having to preach it and be sure that what you heard was from God and not just, I don't know if they had pizza back then, but had a pizza, pizza vision. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. That's celestials and heavenly bodies, terrestrials and earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, say the glory, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now he says, there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another of the stars, one star difference from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. So now he's explaining that there is a new body that's coming to the believers. That at the sound of the trumpet for us, in a moment, in a twinkling eye, we will receive a new outward body. And this inward body will be traded, quickened, glorified into a new body made of a different material that is a celestial material, a heavenly material. And this heavenly material that our body will be, will be as righteous as our new nature, as righteous as our inner man. It'll be as righteous as Jesus himself. In other words, your whole being will be righteous in light. Who's smarter than God to find a way to get you from one being of darkness to another creature of light without extinguishing you? He didn't just take Billy here and and say, okay, Billy, welcome to the family of God. I'm going to just squish you. You're going from a worm to an eagle. Squish. And then take an eagle egg and Right, Billy. I'm going to call you Billy. He didn't just take your name. He took you. And amazingly, in the end, you will be completely a different species, a child of God, completely in light. So when we're talking about the outward body, it's important that we understand the difference between our fingers and toes and know that we have a natural soul that's inside of this body. The natural emotions, the natural mind, when you're in heaven, let me ask you this question. When you're in heaven, do you have a brain in heaven? Do you have a mind? Can you, are you intellectually smart in heaven? Do you have emotions in heaven? So we would say you have a soul while you're in heaven. Right? But that soul is perfect. It's light. How many know you're not going to, you know, I talk about the little girl that was in Bible college the first day. And she was dressed a little bit. Um, her blouse was a little low. and First day of Bible college. And, and, and all the young preacher wannabe men were worshiping God with their head looking over at her. And I remember having to talk to her and say, listen, you know, in the handbook it said you have to dress appropriately as a woman of God. And she goes, well, I did. She didn't realize. It wasn't on purpose. She had a brokenness in her natural soul that said, you're not pretty unless you get one guy to snap his head. You know, and, if you went, you know, and that last, that's a three-hour addiction. Like every three hours, she needed a guy to go, whoa. And then she felt pretty. But unless she got that, whoa, she didn't feel pretty. And she was broken. Her natural emotion was broken. Now let's say, just for a scenario, that she passes away and they, they re- resuscitate her after 10 minutes. So here she is walking and, and having boys snap their head and feeling, I don't judge that girl because she has a brokenness in her that needs to be uh, cleaned out. 
But let's say she's, you know, she's flirty because she wants to feel loved. She passes away. She's in heaven. Do you think she's going to walk around heaven flirting with the angels? Hey, big boy, you must be Michael. You're cute. Why? Because the source of her brokenness is in her natural body, which is laying on the earth. And then here she is in heaven, no need to feel looked at in that way, to feel pretty, to feel wanted. Now they bring her back. And she's gone for 10 minutes. In those 10 minutes, she goes from being flirty to being perfect, pure. She comes back, and the first thing she does is looks at the paramedic who's giving her mouth to mouth. And she goes, hi, what's your name? See, the flirtiness is back because the brokenness is in her natural man. So whenever you see the word body, we don't just think fingers and toes. We have to realize that you're also wearing a natural mind, a natural set of emotions, a natural desires. That's not just for smoking and drinking. It's trying to tell you how to serve God. There's a whole organizations of churches preaching to the outward man how to keep it happy, how to keep you wanting to come back for more. Get addicted on the church so you come back for more. So Paul is explaining here that we have a Just like there's a sun and a moon and a star, they're all made of different material. You have a body that's coming that's made of a different material that is from heaven. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. How many are excited about the day we get a a new spiritual body? No more aging, no more sickness, and no more desires. See, the natural man that you're wearing, the old man, the natural man, it's okay if if once it realizes it has a choice. Go to church or die. It will decide, okay, I'll go to church. But it wants to be in charge of you going to church. The natural man knows how to play religion. Religion is as appetizing to the natural man as pornography is. They're both attracting to the natural man. Because the natural man does not want to be discarded. But you have a new outward body coming. Until then, our job is to put it to death. Not harming the physical body, but mortifying the desires and the intents, the emotions, the thoughts of the natural man. Because now you have a new source that you're born again. Your inner man is alive by the new nature, created in righteousness and holiness, the inner man. But it's empty. It doesn't have... Wisdom. It doesn't have love yet, but it has the ability to hold the very love of God, the ability to hold the very wisdom of God. And that's the battle that you go through as a Christian. So I'm so thankful for praying in tongues because I didn't know what was working in me. I just started to think differently. I just started to feel differently, started to act differently. Verse 45, and so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man of the earth made of dust, the second man of the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man." So you have the image in him, and soon you have a body that will look just like him. Be perfect in righteousness, without work. Can you imagine that? Righteousness without effort? (laughs) Without work? If I asked every believer, how many here want to serve God? Everyone go, amen. How many want to dedicate your life to God? Amen. How many want to be righteousness and holiness? Amen. Amen. How many want to give everything they have to the gospel? Amen. 
Everyone would say, yes, that's who I want to be. But then you look, in, look at yourself and go, well, I got a long ways to go. My question comes down to simply, where is the fight? Where is the fight coming from? Where is that fight coming from? When I say, let's go fishing. Got to get up at 6 in the morning. Some of the men will go, oh, I'll be up at 5. I'll have the boat shined up and the fishing rods ready to go. And, and But if I said, let's go pray in the Holy Ghost, 6 in the morning. Uh, you know, I'm just a little wore out from working so hard. I won't pick on the girls. But we all, like, why is there a fight for one and not a fight for the other? Because the natural man, the natural emotions, the natural mind. See, you have a natural set of the soul, but it's connected to the spiritual side of your soul. They're connected together. Darkness and light and one creature. Yet, when your body falls off of you and that silver cord is snipped, you no longer have the natural part of you. It rots off and becomes dust. But God's not waiting for us to get to heaven before us to walk like Jesus. And this would be the mission, I would say, of the prayer center. Someone somewhere on this earth needs to walk like Jesus. Not just talk about him. Not just talk about the word and say, yeah, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you healed. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to go have dinner. I'm going to leave you in your wheelchair because I can't get you out. But see, where's the conviction that says, why can't I get him out? I understand why religion steps in and says, well, maybe it's just not God's will. Because we tried everything we could. We begged God, God, heal this person, please. Jesus needs somebody. You. Don't be a preacher for this. In fact, being a preacher kind of makes it harder. Because being a preacher, you can feel like you're accomplishing things when you're really not accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish. What we're supposed to accomplish is becoming like Jesus in love, in peace. So we have, verse 49, we have been born the image of the man of us. That image is the new nature. Every time you see the word image, think of a seed, and inside that seed is an image of what that seed will become if it grows. Well, that's the image. That's the new nature. The new nature is a seed that was planted in you, a nature of God that has an image of Jesus in all of his holiness, in all of his love, in all of his peace. And it brought to life your inner body, which now means that you can have those things, but it must grow first. It doesn't come automatic. Oh, I wish that it would come automatic. I went to the gospel meeting. I was a jerk. I was mean. I was hateful. I was stingy. And I got saved. And now I'm sweet as apple pie. Like, why, what, why, didn't, why didn't that change? Because you got the image of him. You got the nature in him. But now you must... Grow in the knowledge of God. Grow the love of God forward. And then at the same time, we are to mortify. Say mortify. Mortify Mortify means you put to death. Now, if something's mortified, it doesn't talk to you. It doesn't fight you. It doesn't resist you. The first step of faith the first step of faith is accepting that God's word is true. And that means there should be a fight that comes in you instantly the moment you're born again. When you hear a voice that says, I need lust. Your first step is to say, "Um, wait a minute. That's not in here under the things that aren't supposed to be. So I'm going to resist you, deny you, and fight you. That's the first step of faith. The first step of faith is choosing to not let your outward man tell you who you are anymore. See, when you have brokenness in you, I've been broken. Someone did this to me. I'm a victim. What I would tell someone now, instead of saying, oh, God loves you, I'd say, tell that voice to shut up. It has no right anymore to tell you who you are. That's not who you are anymore. But then don't just live there because that, that pesty little voice will keep coming back. 
Until you kill it, it's going to keep coming back the rest of your life. But you can kill it. You can kill that voice. Not just denying it, not just resisting it. That's the first step of faith. Choosing not to accept your outward man of who you are anymore. This is why I say you're not your struggles. Quit saying, I'm a liar, I'm a smoker, I'm a drinker. I'm a victim. You can say, I fight with smoking. I fight with victimy. I fight with these appetites. I fight with them because I'm resisting them and eventually I will mortify them. But they're not you anymore. I think I'll pause here and just hit one of my pet peeves while I'm preaching since you have to listen to me anyway. I do like the idea of identifying with who you are in Christ. That's the first step of faith. It's saying, I know that I'm a new creature in Christ. So I now choose to believe that's who God made me. And be from that foundation, I choose to resist the outward man's voice that, who tells me who I am. But if I just identify, in other words, you know, you're already, you're born again, you're a child of God. This is what I heard 35 years ago. You're a child of God. You have it all. Go walk in it. Go pray for the sick. Go out and, and share the gospel. Go, go, go. Share Jesus. And here I was, just born again. I hadn't, the only thing I had in me of Jesus was the nature. <laughs> I had no fruit. All I had was the love of Alan. And I gave it all, the love of Alan, in the name of Jesus. But see, if I just... Under that, I, you are a child of God, identify with walking it. See, in this picture of transformation, when you're born again, Peter says you're like a newborn babe. You're lacking in the knowledge of what who God is. You don't have it yet. You are a child of God, but it's like me taking a, a two-year-old and saying, here's the keys of the car, go drive it. You lack the knowledge and the maturity to do it. So it's not as easy as just, I am a child of God, I'm going to walk it out. Because then you walk around and you, in the name of Jesus and you leave slaughtered many broken people like I did. Praying for the sick, they didn't get healed, I'm embarrassed, they're embarrassed. Amen, God loves you, walk on. Tell the story of my dad who was born with, my earthly dad, born with no fingers on his left hand. If you went up to my grandma when he was, she was holding her, her infant with no fingers on his left hand, and you said, ma'am, Jesus loves you. Thank you. Do you know that Jesus wants to heal your son? Oh, great. Because she comes from a kind of an old-school religious-type thinking, my grandma. Nanny Robodu, her name was. So you know that in her mind, she had thought of all the things that she had done wrong to be cursed, to have her child cursed with no fingers. I didn't give. I didn't, wasn't faithful enough in church. I didn't give enough money. Maybe it was that bad thought I had. Maybe I disobeyed. God is punishing me with my child with no fingers. We know that's trash. We know that that thinking is trash. But she doesn't know that. That's the kind of thinking that a lot of people have when they have that problem. So you go up and you represent Jesus. Jesus wants to heal your kid. Put fingers on those, that little hand. Wants to make the maim whole. Oh, are you telling me the truth? Yes. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Now, my dad did good. He, he had no fingers, but he became a golden glove boxing champ in Canada and married my beautiful mama and did a great job with, with no fingers on his left hand. Didn't hold him back at all. But can you imagine someone with a child that's even worse crippled or broken and born crippled like that, that they can't be normal without a miracle? And you go tell them, Jesus wants to heal your baby. What? Really? Oh my God, that would be such a miracle. That would be such an incredible thing. Yes, please. Yes, yes, Jesus. Yes, 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 please, please, please. All right, be healed in Jesus' name. Well, sir, ma'am, what happened? I don't see any difference in my baby. 
And then you go home. And everything negative she thought, see, God didn't want, I did something wrong. God doesn't want my baby healed. You leave that person in that condition. All while trying to do good work to appease your own self. We need to get to a place where the scripture is true. Go out and heal the sick. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Not just going out and practice on people. The most precious thing to God are people. (laughs) And we want to practice on them. Well, maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. Hold on. I've had a few knees healed and a few deaf ears open. Let me just, we'll roll the dice in Jesus' name and maybe we'll get the lucky, what's, I don't know what the lucky number is when you roll dice. Lucky number seven. And if we get lucky number seven, your baby's healed, but we may get a six or a five or, or a one. And, you know, I, I can't tell you for sure. But everyone who came to Jesus, they met the love of Jesus. And he did not leave them in the same place. And we have borne the image of man, verse 49, man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Hallelujah for that new nature. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. I want you to see here, he's talking about your outward body. Do do you ever think it was odd that we have to get a new outward body? Behold, I tell you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruption must put on incorruption, the mortal must put on immortality. When, when did we get to the place as a church where we can take a, a man and a woman with a broken child and say, what have you done? I'm trying to be careful here, I don't want to get too mean. Sir, what have you done for your child? Well, I've took him to this preacher, I prayed, I believed, I fasted. I took him to this preacher, I took him to... This ministry, I took them there, there, and no one could get them healed. Well, sir, I think I have your answer. What I need you to do, with all those travels and effort, how much money do you have left in your bank account? Well, what we want to do now is we're going to take that need of your baby being healed. I want you to take, take all the money you have out of your bank account Hundreds is okay. Bigger bills, better. And I'm going to give you, here's a big elastic band. Now wrap that, those bills around that need, and we'll call it a seed. And use the rubber band, and then deposit that seed with your money. We'll call it a seed of faith, and deposit it into my ministry. We should have a refund clause If the baby doesn't get healed after I give a seed of faith. But you know a desperate man will do that. Desperate men and women have. When has that become okay? Where did that become okay for the church to do? When did that become okay? When has the church lost its way? Where in the history has the church lost its way? From trying to grow into being like Jesus, not just in word, but in deed. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. And what I'm trying to show here in these epistles of Paul is if you take and lay them upon each other, you'll find the same message being preached over and over and over. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit, this word spirit here means your inner man. The inner man is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. This is talking about the moment when we receive a new outward body. That because of the image, the nature of Christ in you, your outward body has already been paid for. It's already been purchased that when the trumpet sounds, mortality be swallowed up by life. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You mortify the deeds of the body. Now, pause and look at me. Your job isn't done because you have 
your hand around the neck of something. That's not complete. The work's not complete until it's dead. Your work is not complete until it is dead. Do you ever see a video, a TV show, maybe a movie where someone drowns another person? And they got the person under the water and they're fighting for breath. And right at the last minute, when they're about, they know they're, they're about to swallow water and die, they fight like crazy. Well, many Christians, they have their, their hand around the throat of their flesh, but they're not squeezing hard enough. They're becoming buddies with their flesh. There's a whole Christianity where the, the natural man feels welcome in church. Well, if, if, if it's your mortal enemy... <laughs> If I had a mortal enemy and they walked into the church, even in the church, I know we're supposed to be, I'm still working on the love of Jesus, by the way. But if I have a mortal enemy that walks into the church, I'm giving them the evil eye. Like, you dirty dog, I see you. You better not meet you. I'm going to meet you out in the parking lot. I'm going to meet you in the parking lot. I'm going to get a baseball bat. I'm going to knock you in the head. I remember one of my old pastors went to Vietnam he was a little bit crazy, like, you know, when you're really crazy, you can't, it's good. In the sense, it's not like you're just trying to be crazy. He was like a little bit crazy. He even went to, he always said, I had to go to a ward for a little bit in the army because I'm licensed to be crazy, you know. But he came home and he got a Dear John letter from his wife. In other words, I'm leaving you while you're in Vietnam. And, and she was with another man. And he said, I went to his house with my rifle when I got home from Vietnam and I was going to kill him. And that man didn't show up. He didn't know, but he said, I didn't kill him, but I would have if he would have showed up. He was going to kill him. That's a mortal enemy. If I see you, you're dead. That's the kind of thing where if you've got a mortal enemy, you drive around town, you look for their car before you park. You check in the restaurant to make sure they're not there before you go in because they'll kill you if they see you. That's a mortal enemy. Well, why are we treating our outward man like our buddy when we should be mortifying it? It's not dead till it quits talking. That area that you're fighting with, if you have to deny it, resist it, that's the first step. The first step to prove that you believe that the Word of God is true about you is you choose to deny yourself, your flesh. You choose to resist it. You choose to rebuke the devil, fight it, Every step of the way. But if you live there, that's all you do, the devil will defeat you one day. But there is a process here where you can kill that voice to where it quits speaking to you. Because it'll talk sweet, nice to you. Yeah, I'll go to church. Yeah, we'll worship God together. That sounds great. But the moment you take it to the prayer closet, and it figures out, wait a minute, I'm not getting the nice stuff here. I'm losing Try to fast. That's a great example. That voice of your flesh. Feed me. Feed me. You don't tell your body, okay, I want you to get hungry. Eat now. Your body tells you, it's time to feed me. And you say, no. I'm in charge. Not you, body. The answer is no. Feed me. No. See, that's the first step of overcoming, to say no to your flesh. But that's not the finished work. The finished work is one day you won't have a voice of your flesh saying, feed me, because it will have a different body. You won't have those desires and appetites. That's possible today on this earth through this process called mortification. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to come on down to verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectations of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fatuity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps with our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I read all that because I want to go back over to Second Corinthians now. And I want you to see that this exact imagery is right here in chapter 4 and 5 of Second Corinthians. I'll start in verse 16 of chapter 4. I want you to be encouraged that if you are resisting your flesh, the emotions, the lies, the wrong desires, that is the first step. You choose that first. That is a step of faith. But you don't live there. Because if you, all you do is live there, I got control of it. I got control of it. There's been times in my life where God led me right to the line where I had something in my life where all I had to do was step over the line and I knew that I, was going to, it would, I would be done with that area. I would be past it. I would have killed it in my life. And there's been times, embarrassingly, that, that I refused to cross that line just because I didn't want to kill it. I was, I'd rather have it in the box behaving because what if I want to go back to it? But once you kill it, it's kind of final. You know, death is final. That's the, that's the slap in the face at every funeral. It's like, wow, death is final. And I have had moments in my past where an area of my life where I could have killed it and finished it off, but I stopped because I didn't want to kill it. I wanted to keep it. But keep it behaved. Just in case. Like, and that's the temptation. That, isn't that the temptation the devil gave Adam? Like, you know, you're, really, you're really not free, Adam. Because you're only light and righteousness. You know, there's another dark side out here. And unless you open that door, then you could choose. You're free to choose. And that's the finality of what God's asking us to do is lose the choice. So he's all you are. He's all you have. And he is all you present to the world. Mortification is not just control. It's death. And he's not talking about your fingers and toes. He's talking about the natural man that's going to fall off you one day, which is the natural part of your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. But understand that you also have a spiritual side in your spiritual body. How many know in heaven you have a mind? How many know in heaven you have a emotions and desires? So you have a soul while you're in heaven, as, as mind, will, and emotions. So now on this earth, you also have that same soulish part of you, mind, will, and emotions, in the spiritual side that are light and love and, and righteousness of God. They're tied in together, the natural man and the spiritual man. What we're trying to do is mortify the outward man by first building up the inner man. That's the, that's the power of a revelation. You just thought, like me, oh man, Pastor Dave was right. I started to think differently. And that's such a bad way of describing what happened to me. Because what happened to me was much more of a miracle. When I was a kid, we used to get the onion rings. A&W back had the onion rings you get. And, and I hated the onion. So I would take the onion out and just eat the ring. You know, now that I'm older, I like onions. Not all the time, but I like onions. That's a change. 
but transformation is a miracle. I didn't change the way I thought. I spent time with the Holy Ghost. He took his truth, the truth of God, deposited in my inner man, my spiritual soulish mind, the inner man, and I received that knowledge of truth. And with that knowledge of truth, once it built up, my inner man looked over at my outward man and said, you're dumb. That's not true. The way you think about that, the way you think about yourself, the way you think about God, that's not true. When I first moved here, our first conference, I was given a little bit in each offering. And I, I'm pretty sure it was Gary that made a comment maybe, you know, that I only give when I'm led to give. And that agreed with what God was telling me on the inside. And I was like, Psh, well, great. I'm like Gary. <laughs> But see, that's why when we preach, I should be preaching to your inward man, and your inward man could be going, that's right, that's right. You should feel the agreement and peace on the inside. If you don't, and you hear a preacher preach, and something goes inside of you, stop. You don't have to receive what a preacher says. But the outer man doesn't agree. The outer man will never agree to mortification. Verse 16, chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So the renewing is in the inward man. So your inward man, if, if someone is 84 years old, they get saved today and they pass away tomorrow in a car wreck. We'll just say they don't walk around heaven, crawl around heaven in a little baby body. I just got born again. I'm a little baby. But the knowledge they have of God the love they have of God as soon as they enter heaven is like a child. It's, they don't have it. You don't have it the moment you're born again. You have to develop it. You have to take the love of God and make it part of you. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For we do not look at the things which are seen. So what is he telling us not to look at? Your outward man. Don't look at the things which you can see. Can you, are we in agreement with that? We don't look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. See, what are you not seeing when you, when you look at yourself right now? Your inward man. So he's saying, don't look at the outward man. Look at the inward man. That's who you really are. You may be a little baby, but at least you're a righteous little baby. And you're wearing this ugly old flesh that has desires. The little girl that wants to be wanted. What voice is telling her? Where is that voice coming from that tells her she needs to dress that way to be needed, to be wanted? Why is that voice not in you? Why is it in her? Because her natural part of her soul is broken and trying to tell her, we need this to feel worthy. That's what we're mortifying. We're not trying to enjoy our emotions. We're trying to enjoy our spiritual side of emotions while we mortify the natural side of our emotions. It's not a point of, I take the bad emotions of hate and anger and jealousy and I squish them down and I lift up love and joy and peace. No, it's the source of your emotions. Where are you getting that peace from? Where are you getting that love from? Is it from your natural man? Because it's a fake excuse for the real love, the real joy, the real peace of God that you can have if you spend time with God. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Remember Romans 8, we just read all this in different language. For our light affliction, which is just for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Verse 17, 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. That's your natural man. It will fall off of you one day. It is temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That's your inward man. It is eternal. That's where you live the rest of eternity, your inward man. One day we'll be clothed with a new outward man. Now we're going to read chapter 5 just a little bit. I'm going to pull up my King James so we're, we're all in agreement on this word in here. For we know that if our earthly house, 
See, that's your natural body. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. This is your new body. So when this natural body is dissolved, we get a new body. Of a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, while waiting for this process, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our house which is from heaven. This is the fight that you're in. This is where you're not supposed to quit trying to get so busy winning the world. And let's get busy groaning and mortifying and growing in the things of God. Then the world will be one to Christ. For in this we groan, earnestly and desire to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed. We don't want to just go to heaven right now. But be clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up by life. This is at the trumpet sound. But you, you can start the process now. This is why we focus on what we do. Now he that has wrought us for the same self thing as God, who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment to help you to finish your course. Romans 8. Therefore, we're always confident knowing that whilst we're in home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I know commonly we use that verse to say, you know, you're having hard times. Don't look at your bank account. Walk by faith, not by sight. And that's, that's a very accurate definition of faith. But in context, what he's saying is, live out of your inner man, not your outward man. Look at your inner man, not your outward man. You want to see where you are with God? Look at your inner man, not your outward man. Much of the church world today is teaching people how to walk with God in their carnality and forcing God to work through the gifts, through their callings, forcing God to accept a church that is what man does by man power in the name of God. And he will accept that if that's all we give him. He's all about winning as many people as he can. But I dare to say that God can do more in one day of my life with him through me than I can do in a thousand lifetimes trying to accomplish. We don't want to try to build a tower of Babel trying to see what we can do on our own. We want God to go through us. I want to show you the love of Jesus. Well, where is that love? Well, I have to go develop. It's still not there yet. But I'll give you what I can. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're in a process of growing and maturing. The point of the transformation is to understand the miracle of what God is doing within you when you pray, when you worship, when you spend time with Him. That when I spend an hour praying in tongues, five hours praying in tongues, when I spend an hour in worship or five hours in worship, the miracle that's happening is not that I'm changing is that I am being transformed. I'm renewing my inner man with the knowledge of God, the love of God. And it stays there forever. It doesn't disappear. It's a building block. Pastor Dave said, when you pray in tongues, it's not like you blow up a balloon. And then you let it out. All the air goes. And tomorrow, you blow it up. It was not like a battery charger where you charge up the battery and then you zap and then you got to recharge it. He said it's building like building bricks. That's the building that's going on inside of your inner man. Every moment you pray in tongues, every moment you spend in worship, worshiping God, a piece of God himself is coming inside of you. And that's the authority of love that he needs to do what he wants in the world. I talked about the woman, the adulterous woman that they brought to Jesus and understand you know I did some marriage counseling I had a couple that I met and she wanted me to marry them and 
And I, you know, I knew it from another source, not a church. And I said, sure, but, but I'll marry you, but I want to do counseling first. And that was my way of tricking them into getting saved. Uh, let me counsel you first. Because they were living together, and you might as well just get you married off if you're doing that. And so they came, and I said, okay, I want to start off with you understanding that what makes a good marriage last is Jesus. And so I want to talk to you both about being born again first, so you can start off with the best possible way to make your marriage work. And they both looked at me and said, oh, we've been saved. We, had, we go down to this church down the road, just down from, from here, for five years. And they've been living together for three years. Like, how can, how can you sit through a service and not realize there's something not right? So in our society, that kind of fornication, yeah, you know, it's not so uncommon, even in the church world. But do you understand the girl that was committing adultery in her culture, that if they caught you, they killed you? That's how broken she was, how needy she was, driven she was to be wanted, that she was willing to risk her life just to be wanted for a moment. That's how damaged that girl was. So when Jesus said to her, those, where are your condemners? I don't condemn you. That was him being the Lamb of God, saying, I'll wash away your sin. But in that moment, I want you to see what the love of Jesus did for that woman. For him to say, go and sin no more, wasn't for him to say, quit being such a wimp and resist your flesh, because she wasn't saved. She couldn't be saved until Jesus was glorified. What he did for her in that moment was he took that brokenness inside of her soul, because she wasn't born again. She was all dark. And he reached in the authority God used the love of Jesus as the authority to reach into that woman. Take that brokenness that wasn't her fault probably and remove it from her. That's the only way he could say, go and sin no more. Because now you no longer are driven because I've removed that brokenness of your flesh. Do you know that's going to be a bigger part of revival than the blind eyes and the deaf ears? But that doesn't come from your love. Our love is well... I tell you what, we have a 12-step program and accountability. And come here, let me love on you. I love you, I love you. It's going to be okay. And let's, set, let's put a safety net. You know, we'll organize around you to protect you, help you to overcome. What if a little drug addict comes in? No one wants to be an alcoholic. No one drinks alcohol just to drink alcohol. They drink alcohol to alcoholism to drown feelings and voices and brokenness. Same as drugs. It does something to hide the emotion. It makes them feel alive and and wanted to come into a service and to leave different because they met the love of Jesus in you. That's what we're after. Not just trying to get the church full of people. We want to let them meet Jesus in us. Not that we heal anyone. We don't. We don't have the power to heal anyone. It's that God uses that position of authority of the love of God that you developed in your inner man to reach through you the way he did with Jesus, to reach through you, grab that brokenness. I look back to my ministry past, and I think, how many altar calls have I had? How many many times have I laid hands on people and left them the same? We celebrated the ones who got victory. We celebrated the ones who got healed, but we left many people behind. All because there wasn't, I was more focused on trying to do something in the name of God rather than let me go find God. Let me take that and let it become a part of me. And let me introduce you to the love of God and you'll never be the same. That is what we're after. That's what's available to us. And it's been hidden by miles and piles and miles of religion saying it's okay to go be busy for God. Now, I think every one of us should do everything we can to share the gospel, to share the love of Christ the best we can, every moment we can. But when you take that and make that your focus, and you take away the focus of spending time with God, you'll never be the Jesus that they need.
You'll never be the Jesus that, you, that they need. Someone, somewhere, needs to show Jesus to the world. Why can't it be you? It can be. But it's going to cost you everything. Not just holding down the flesh until it's just about dead. And then, oh, okay, I'll let you live. You're behaved now. So we'll be good. No. Mortifying it. Letting go of all the dreams of your natural man. Letting go of all your desires of what's making you feel like you're worth something. And finding yourself only in him. You are released. We'll see you at 10 o'clock.